You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And on a beautiful night here at the Coliseum, the lights have taken full effect. Welcome to Taking Effect, an Oakland A's podcast with Ken Korak. Now, with an inside look at the A's, here's Ken. When Ron Washington moved closer to home and accepted a coaching position with the Braves, the A's had a vacancy on their coaching staff. Now, no one wants to be let go, but after two years managing the Diamondbacks, Chip Hale was available. And his long history with Bob Melvin included coaching for the A's during their three straight years reaching the postseason, beginning in 2012. Now, the A's have always been a great fit for Hale, and especially because he went to high school at Camp Alindo in Moraga, a short drive from the Coliseum. After two intense years, though, as a big league manager, I was wondering if Chip might have been inclined to think about taking a year off to recharge his batteries. But Chip's batteries are always charged, and that is one of the many qualities that has endeared him to Melvin and the A's. We began our conversation when I asked him, still if there was any question about whether he wanted to get back on the field this year. There wasn't any question. Um, I was very lucky. You know, after our first year, they exercised my option, so I was going to get paid for this year regardless. Um, and I guess I could have taken a year off and, and um, just kind of watched and, and uh, seen what was going on in baseball. But uh, I'm a lifer. You know, I love the game. I love to be on the field. I love to teach. Um, so I know I wanted to get back. Uh, when the opportunity came around uh, that uh, Ron Washington was going to leave for Atlanta, um, you know, I talked to Bob, and it just was a, is a good fit. I mean, there were some other opportunities that were out there uh, that I was talking to different teams about, but um, you know, I, I don't know if it's loyalty or just for me, it's it's comfortable to be around Bob. Well, yeah, and he feels the same way about you, and he has expressed already this spring uh, how much it means to him to have you back with the ball club this year. How do you describe your relationship with Bob Melvin? It's a good one. It's it's a real special one for me. You know, it wasn't something that we knew each other back in the Bay Area growing up. Um, it's just something that came out of, of work. You know, out of being with the Diamondbacks, I was the the Meyer, in the Meyer leagues, running the Meyer leagues and AAA manager things like that. He was a big league bench coach, then he became the manager, um, and just working back and forth and just building that respect and um, trust. And that's the most important thing in this game. I think um, when you look to build your staff, and I did that in Arizona, um, you're looking for guys that you can trust and you know they're going to work hard, and I think he feels that way about me, and I, and I know it, it, what he's going to do to, to make the team better. Two Bay Area guys, mm-hmm. you grew up on the east side of the Bay. He was on the west side of the Bay. I don't know about you, but I moved to the Bay Area in 1979, and I used to go to games at the Coliseum. I'd look up to the press box, and I'd think, man, what about, <laughs> boy, could maybe someday that could happen, and then Bill and Lon were up there for all those years, and I almost had to stop myself because there were moments when I would think, you know, maybe that's not going to happen for you. What about for you as a kid in the East Bay? Did you dream about playing baseball at the Coliseum someday? Well, you know, I started out in Cupertino, so I was really in the South Bay um, till eighth grade. And And the only games we ever went to for baseball were at Candlestick. So where we used to sit, it was so cold and so high that I told my parents, maybe we should just watch a game on TV. But when I went to uh, lived in Moraga, we used to take Bart into to the Coliseum pretty much every night we could that we didn't have baseball practice or American Legion game in the summer. 
and it was the, one of the most fun places to be. Um, the way the stadium was, you know, before they put the uh, the big center field in, uh, we'd sit in the bleachers every night. And I, I did imagine, like, maybe one day I could play here if, if you just keep working hard enough. But um, those guys were so good on that field, uh, the A's and the other teams, that it was really – it is kind of hard when you're watching it to think that you could be, actually compete down there. Do you remember the first time you walked into the Coliseum as a major league player? Oh, yeah, definitely did. Uh, I was excited. Uh, I remember my manager, Tom Kelly, for the Minnesota Twins, goes, I, you know, I don't think I'm going to be able to start you here in Oakland. You know, I think you're going to get too nervous being around your friends. So uh, pretty much all I got to do was pinch hit that first time in. Yeah. You had some good clubs in Minnesota. Of course, Tom Kelly eventually wins two world championships there. And you've played for several managers and coached under certainly Bob Melvin, who's had a wonderful run himself as a manager. When you take over managing the Diamondbacks, did you reflect back on some of the people that you were around as far as maybe molding your philosophy as a big league manager? You do. I mean, that, that's how you, you know, when you go into the managing um, business, uh, when you're in the minor leagues, you know, coming up through the rookie ball, A ball, double A, triple A, all you have to draw on is what guys have done before you, whether it's your high school coach, my college coach at U of A, Jerry Kendall, all the minor league managers, uh, Tom Kelly, like you said, Bill Russell I played for in L.A., um, just different people, and you, you kind of take little different things from them and, and try to put it all together. And then, you know, you obviously have your own beliefs. But Bob was a huge, huge influence on me. And I used to tell our coaches all the time certain things, you know, kind of a 24-hour rule that I learned from Bob when you're just so frustrated by the, the team that one night they struggle. You know, just give yourself 24 hours to sleep and think about it before you address the team. You know, it, it, it's uh, different things that, that he brought to the game that I really used. Now you're removed from that time with the Diamondbacks, but spending two years there, the first year I thought went really well. Yes. Last year, not so great, I guess, and there were circumstances that I think conspired against you. Right. As you look back now, what was the experience like? Oh, it was great. It was great. Good people. Um, and that's the thing in all these jobs, whether you're a player, minor league manager, minor league instructor, big league coach, big league manager, it's about relationships. And the relationships I had there were great. You know, we live in Tucson full-time, uh, just so have a place in Phoenix, be able to go so close, bring the animals with us. Yeah. Um, it was it was a dream job, and that's what I said when I got let go. It was, it's too bad because it was the one job that um, you felt really comfortable living somewhere 12, 12 months out of the year with family, and, and, um, and like I said, the, the animals we have, we were able to bring them with us. So um, the great people in Arizona, uh, ownership was good to me. Um, front office was good. You know, Tony LaRusso, of course, has been – around Dave Stewart. So it was an unfortunate situation. You know, expectations were very high last year, and they should have been. And when some guys get hurt and underperform, um, somebody has to uh, <laughs> has to pay the price. Grinke makes 26 starts, did not have the kind of year they expected. Right. Pollock gets hurt right off the bat. The Shelby Miller deal. Yeah. How did you manage that situation? Because there was so much scrutiny after the fact, right. and Dansby Swanson gets dealt, you know, one of the great prospects in the game, NCR goes, and then Miller has a really tough year. Right. How do you manage a situation like that? Well, I think managing it, you just you just try to stay in the present and, and keep guys focused on the day, and, and the players did. They played hard. Uh, I never had a complaint about that, and that's one thing as a manager. If your group competes and competes, you really have no complaints, and that's why it was hard for me to get on guys um, for performance because they were doing everything they could, maybe trying too hard. Shelby obviously felt the pressure of that 
you know, that transaction. Uh, the media was very hard on that transaction. Um, you know, we had a front office that wasn't of today's front offices. We had, you know, Dave Stewart, a great player, obviously, um, an agent at the time, that, that, and Tony La Russa, next manager, Hall of Fame manager that becomes the um, president of, op of baseball operations. So everything that they did was really, really hit hard by the media because it wasn't the normal um, front office that today has you know the more the guys out of the the ivy league schools and yeah. that people think the analytical side of it so any move they were going to make was going to be really looked at hard and um you know they forget that our best player last year probably better than paul goldschmidt was gene segura who dave stewart dealt for so yeah. they don't remember the ones that that do well they just remember the the, the moves that don't work out so um, as a manager, the biggest deal I had to deal was was just the media every day because we weren't performing at the at the the way that they thought we should, um, and they always wanted me to comment on you think we made a bad move, and, and it, that's not my job. My job is to motivate the group in the in the in the clubhouse and not, you know, pick apart deals. <laughs> yeah, we'll see, Mr. Segura, this year with yeah. the Seattle Mariners, budgeting your time. Mm -hmm. I would think. Not it's not even it's not that easy when you're coaching. It must be doubly hard when you're managing. No doubt about it. Um, I said when I came over here, and actually, this first couple weeks of spring training has been so fun for me because I'm back to coaching and teaching and working on the field with players. I felt like as a manager, um, you know, you were too busy in the media room or talking to front office, talking to ownership, you know, shaking hands with fans, trying to you know keep everybody happy. Um, and more of a mental game as the manager, even with the players, you know, just trying to settle them down, motivate them. Um, but really the day-to-day, the -day, how to field a ground ball, here's where you go on a cutoff and relay, um, those teachings kind of get away from you. So um, it's been fun just to get back mm -hmm. to um, coaching. Let's follow up on that. When does your day begin <laughs> out here at the complex? Yeah, well, I get here about 445. <laughs> I leave the house about 430, um, and I try to get my – Workout, you know my my workout in the gym done before most anybody's here. Mikey Thalbloom, the visiting clubhouse uh, manager, is here to open the door, so he's always on the bike when I get here, um, and so I get my workout in and then start to you know do all the research of the day, and then pretty much on the field around seven seven fifteen with the players um, doing some. We have eighteen or nineteen infielders here in camp this this spring, so all the early work we do before stretch. Um, it's a constant flow of players through there. And it's fascinating, too, because there are 70 players in camp this year. And before the ball games begin, especially when it's exclusively workouts and you're down at Fitch Park, one of the things I've always thought that players you know, really hate would be just standing around, right. not getting anything done. How do you keep that all together and keep things moving yeah. so that the players stay engaged? Well, you know, Mark um, Kotze, our bench coach, and um, Scott Emerson, the bullpen coach, they're – doing the schedule this year i've done the schedule in the past i did it as a manager um and it's one of the things that's been nice this year not have to deal with the schedule but they do a really good job of keeping and making sure that no one stands around that's really important ken and i think um that's a really good observation because in the old days we used to joke around to get ready for spring training we put spikes on and stand out on the grass for two or three hours because that's what you're going to do in spring training this the way spring runs now guys are off the on the field and off the field get their work done in two or three hours um so it's just a it's they're sitting there all day trying to look at the the map of the field and 
putting certain people here and changing it, flipping it back and forth. So um, there's a lot of work that goes into that. A's fans listening, I'm sure, are curious to get your thoughts as a former big league infielder and a major league coach working with infielders about some of the young players. Right. What have been your impressions of Franklin Barreto? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really impressive. I, I studied yesterday. I was coaching third, and he, he got on base, um, had a real hard turnaround second. Um, I just came in. I said to Bob and I said to Mark Hotz, I said, this guy is just – he's special. He's, he's a special player. Um, he's not afraid to hit with two strikes. In the infield, he can play – Shortstop, he's got a great arm, um, great athleticism. I mean, the errors and mistakes he makes are just from being young, you know, 20, 21 years old. He's, he's going to make some, some mistakes just because of the, of the, the experience factor. Um, but he he's, can play big league shortstop. He can play big league second base right now. It's just a matter of maybe getting him a little more time so he can be consistent. Over in the game at Scottsdale, first ball that's hit to Matt Chapman, he bobbles. I'm thinking, well, that's an E5. Runner's going to be safe. Right. And then he guns it over there like 150 <laughs> miles an hour and throws the guy out. Right. He's, uh, he's a special kid. I mean, he, he could have pitched. I mean, I think out of Fullerton, um, you know, he's a 96, 97-mile-an-hour pitcher. So um, he could do either. And uh, that arm is not only is the velocity, Ken, great, but it's the carry. Um, if you ask the second baseman's on double plays, every throw he makes is chest high and it's four seam, so it's nice and straight. You can handle it. So, yeah, I – I saw the same thing as you, the bobble, and I knew. I said, he'll be okay as long as he doesn't panic and not pick it up. So um, uh, he's another special, special young kid we have. Marcus Simeon came a long way as defensively at shortstop last year. What does he need to do to take his game even to a higher level this year? I just think he needs to keep playing. He's, he's, you know, Ron did a really good job with him. Um, instilling confidence in him um, this year is important. And, and letting him know that wasn't a fluke last year. That's who he is, and he can – um, he can even build on that and become better. His time at shortstop, you know, with the White Sox, he was all over the field. Now he's a shortstop. He's our leader out there. There's no looking over his shoulder. Um, some of these young kids that are coming up trying to trying to take his job, it's not going to happen. He's going to be our guy for years. And um, and I always tell him, hey, make them move those guys around. You know, they're all going to be big leaders. All these players that we have are going to be big leaders at some point. But this kid can play here for as long as he wants. He's a Berkeley native. Um, he's a perfect fit for us. You mentioned confidence, and I'm not sure what comes first, the winning or the confidence. So they right. go hand in hand. Your last year with the A's, the A's get to the postseason. But, you know, the disappointment of the wild card game in Kansas City. How, do, how does this club get back to that level where the foundation is built, where there's an expectation of winning? Yeah, I think, uh, well, as you, I said before last year, the expectation of winning is, is, is sometimes tough. You know, it puts a lot of pressure on the guys, I think. Right now, our job is just to build, like you said, a winning foundation. And the way we do it is to work on today and, and win today, whether it's a workout, whether it's going out for early work and, and doing the best you can in that early work. Let that carry into the game. You know, the, the best teams don't worry about winning. They expect to win. They go out. They do their job. Each guy does whatever he has to do. And they're not worried about, oh, we got to win this game. They're worried about, you know, I, I have the best at bat I can. I'll do my part. The next guy will do his part. And, and, and our guys have to figure that out. I mean, we help them. We push them. We teach them. But when they get on the field, they're going to have to do it. Everybody loves their club in the spring, <laughs> right? I mean, optimism reigns supreme all over the place and all the symbolism about yeah. – the, the cactus blooming like the season and all that stuff. I kind of believe in all that. Right. Do you like the vibe on the club? The vibe's good. The vibe's good. The older players are really 
helpful to the young guys. Um, you see it on the bench. You see them talking. You see it in the work. Um, we'll stop maybe sometimes in the early work, and a Yonder Alonzo will help a Ryan Healy or a Matt Olson, and, and um, you know, over at third base, uh, Trevor Plouffe's been really, really good with Chapman. They have been have a really good relationship. So those are the things I see. Marcus does a nice job with all those middle infields we have, and we have talent. We have so much young talent, like you said, um, with the Munozes, um, the Nunezes. Those kids are young kids, and they, they need to play more in the minor leagues. But at some point this season, they'll probably be on this team to help us win. It's good when they can push the veterans, too, right? You want to have guys in the minor leagues that are thinking, I'm going to force my way up there. Right. And that's the point. You have, you have, it's a great dynamic. You've got the kids pushing, 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 and, they, and the older guys know it. But like I said, with the attitude I told Marcus, uh, hey, that's good. I, we want you on this team, but you can play somewhere else. I got this position locked down. Yeah. And they'll fight and fight for those positions. Thanks for your time today, Chip. Uh, no it's problem. great to have you back in green and gold. Oh, thanks a lot, Ken. All right. Chip Hale joining us on our show today in spring training from Mesa, Arizona. You've been listening to Taking Effect with Ken Korak, an Oakland A's podcast. Ken will return with a new episode soon. Subscribe via iTunes or download single episodes at athletics.com slash podcasts. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.